Hi, I'm Sydney, and you're listening to Let It Simmer. Hey everybody, welcome back to Let It Simmer. I'm your host, Sydney, and today we're going to be taking this episode in a bit of a different direction. So I was in a class this semester, it was English 466 Modernism, and we read the book Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather. And in this book, there's a historical figure of Kit Carson, who is prominent in American history. And so I just kind of wanted to examine the implications of having a real figure in a fictional book, and also kind of the ties that it has to the era of modernism. So the book was published in 1927, and I'll read the back of it for you. There is something epic and almost mythic about this sparsely beautiful novel by Willa Cather. Although the story it tells is that of a single human life, lived simply in the silence of the desert. In 1851, Father Jean Marie Latour comes as the apostolic vicar to New Mexico. What he finds is a vast territory of red hills and torturous arroyos, American by law but Mexican and Indian in custom and belief. In the almost 40 years that follow, Latour spreads his faith in the only way he knows. Gently, although he must contend with an unforgiving landscape, derelict, and sometimes openly rebellious priests, and his own loneliness. Out of these events, Cather gives us an indelible vision of life unfolding in a place where time itself seems suspended. So that's just like a little bit about the book. Like it said, it follows this one priest, but there's a lot of different characters that come that come in and out of the novel. And then it mentions Kit Carson as one of the characters, and so I just wanted to give some factual biographical information of this person. So he was born in Kentucky in 1809 and his family moved to Missouri when he was a couple of years old. His father ended up dying when he was 15 and he eventually apprenticed for a saddle maker, but he hated it so much that he ran away to join a caravan that was going from Missouri to Santa Fe on the Santa Fe Trail, which was a common trade route. And so as a teen, he was in New Mexico And then by the late 1820s, he was working as a fur trader. And then late 1820s, early 1830s, he spent lots and lots of time in the Rocky Mountains learning for the fur trapping profession, as well as kind of just expanding American presence and U.S.-centric commerce into the region. He also started to develop skills as a guide, and at the time he was celebrated as an Indian fighter. And now he'd probably more critically be looked at as an Indian killer, which he also still might have embraced. He ended up crossing paths with John C. Fremont, who was tasked with exploring the West, and Kate Carson was one of his guides as they explored the central and western, the west side of the Rockies. And so, essentially, John C. Fremont and his wife were really good publicists, and Kate Carson was featured in his widely read reports that got sent back out east. And so, Carson became this well-known figure of exploration, mapping, identifying exploitable resources, Eventually, in the 1860s, he, be- he had a role as an Indian agent, and he is well-known by historians for his role in the forced relocation of the Navajo from their traditional homeland of northeastern Arizona, and they were forced to walk on what was called the Long Walk to northeastern New Mexico in order to combine them to reservation territories. And it was a really brutal experience for the Navajo because it was done so without sufficient resources, but Kate Carson was a part of this. In addition, he had three wives, two who were Native American and one who was Mexican. And when he married his Mexican wife, who was the last one, I believe, he converted to Catholicism because that was just what was traditionally done at the time. 
And so I think a big part of why Kit Carson is featured in this novel is because of his move to Santa Fe. And a lot of this book just wants to encompass any and all of that like intense setting of New Mexico. And so I just believe that the author wanted every aspect of this landscape and this land, like visually, historically, to come out. And I think this is one of the ways that she was able to accomplish it by including this figure. And so the novel has a multitude of characters and Kate Carson is mentioned pretty much throughout the entirety of it. He's first mentioned on page 40 and then throughout the novel and then in the last few pages of the book. So that's just basically a little introduction of the book and the real figure of Kate Carson and mostly what I will want to examine in this episode is some of the ethical impl implications of having a real figure in a fictional novel as well as why including this figure contributed to the era modernism which is what this novel is in. So now I'm going to play a short clip of Cather speaking herself, which I think is a good frame for looking into this topic more, and I apologize in advance for the sound quality. It's really astonishing what a long gallery of great books we must call by the name novel for lack of a better definition, a more defining word. Robinson Crusoe is a novel and Anna Karenina is a novel. Thais is a novel, and Pilgrim's Progress, and Don Quixote are novels. I hope you enjoyed that clip of the real Willa Cather speaking. And so now I'm just going to get into kind of the different places where Kit Carson is mentioned in the novel. So he's first mentioned on page 40, and it says, He says I can get some information from the scout, Kit Carson, who lives at Taos. So basically, true, he was a scout. Very quick sentence, not much to it. And then the next time that he's mentioned is on page 73. So there's the character of Magdalena and she has basically been domestically abused and she's escaping that life with the help of the priests. And it says, in the morning, the magistrate and his party arrived from Taos. And so Kit Carson is a part of this party and it goes on to say, A man dressed in buckskin hunting clothes stepped out of the crowd and asked to see Magdalena. Father Latour conducted him into the room where she lay on her mat. The stranger went up to her, removing his hat. He bent down and put his hand on her shoulder. Though he was clearly an American, he spoke Spanish in the native manner. Magdalena, don't you remember me? And then it goes on to say, Cristobal, she wailed, oh Cristobal. So basically those are two accurate things. His name was Cristobal as well as he most likely would have been wearing buckskin hunting clothing. And yet, Magdalena is a fictional character, and the ordeal that she went through is fictionalized. So just kind of putting in this real accurate information f for a character with another character that's completely fake, like he didn't help save Magdalena by any means. And then in terms of how the main character saw him, it says... The bishop felt a quick glow of pleasure in looking at the man. As he stood there in his buckskin clothes, one felt, him in, felt in him standards, loyalties, a code, which is not easily put into words, but which is instantly felt when two men who live by it come together by chance. So basically, this is the bishop talking about Kit Carson, and it says that they have a bond because of this standards and loyalty and this kind of upstanding, these upstanding men that they are. And so it's clear that the novel and like the main character thinks highly of Kit Carson. And then in terms of more 
biographical information, this is all on page 75, it says, Carson said he had become a Catholic merely as a matter of form, as Americans usually did when they married a Mexican girl. His wife was a good woman and very devout, but religion has seemed to him pretty much a woman's affair until his last trip to California. So this is similar to what I mentioned earlier. He took a Mexican wife and converted to Catholicism in order to do so. So yet again, another factual piece of information that Catherine decides to include. And then the next two times that the next two times that we kind of see a mentioning of Kit Carson or Kit Carson's wife is on page on page one fifty three, and on this page the bishop goes to Kit Carson's ranch house, but he's not there, and so his wife is there, and basically they proceed to have a conversation. And Senora Carson is basically telling the bishop how people, her people don't really see the certain priest favorably and kind of what people have said about him in the past and just kind of fills him in on that piece of information. And there's no real way of knowing this. And so it just kind of seems to fit the narrative to include this conversation in this way. And then the next time they're mentioned it says the vicar was in taos on business for the bishop staying with kate carson and the senora so yet again just brief mentioning as in these characters were staying with them again no way to really know it just fits the narrative that Catherine was trying to write and then the next kind of important and final place that kate carson is mentioned is at the very end of the book on page 291 and it states it was his own misguided friend, Kit Carson, who finally subdued the last unconquered remnant of that people, who followed them into the depths of the Canyon de Chelly, whither they had fled from their grazing plains and pine forests to make their last stand. So talking about the atrocity of Kit Carson forced, Kit Carson's part in the forced re relocation of the Navajo. And it's interesting because it does label him as misguided with these actions. And so just kind of this shift in perspective around Carson by the end of the novel and it also mentions on page 294 you are the friend of Cristobal who hunts my people and drives them over the mountains to the boat Redonda tell your friend that he will never take me alive he can come and kill me when he pleases so how not only this priest's relationship with Kit Carson has changed or like his opinions of some of the actions that Carson partook in, um, his just opinions of it, but then also the effects that it had on certain relationships that the priest had with some of the people that he was trying to preach to. So it's just interesting this dynamic between the factual biographical information that Cather chooses to include that's interjected with the fictionalized encounters that he has with other characters in the book. It's just very interesting to kind of see the discrepancies between the biography that they give and the storylines that get made up. And so another kind of aspect of this is with dime novels. And dime novels were basically comic books in the 1800s that were really popular and they sold for a dime. And they featured characters in them, Kit Carson, Davy Crockett, Buffalo Bill Cody, and these were basically the heroes of those stories and they were very exaggerated 
and fictionalized, but of real people and real characters. And so I kind of found that interesting in the dynamic that those dime novels have to this novel. So I conducted an interview with Professor Rast, and he's a member of the Gonzaga University History Department. So I'm going to play a clip of what he had to say on dime novels right now. Dime novel hero, but my point is, the dime novels with these um, white male heroes, they were often um, coming across the paths of um, Native Americans who were, you know, quote unquote, on the war path, and they would be endangering the lives of white women, and the dime novel heroes would intervene just in the nick of time to save the, the damsel in distress, right? Mm -hmm. So the 1848, 1849 publications about Carson had some of those kinds of stories. So those are starting to come out. Carson himself had returned home to northern New Mexico in 1848. The following year, 1849, um, there was um, a situation he became aware of in which some Apaches had abducted, um, you know, a settlement, a white family. And so there was a white woman in distress and he was, a, Carson was a part of, the actual Kit Carson was a part of this party to go try to track that, um, the abductors track, follow their tracks, catch up to them and, tr and, and fight them and defeat them and save um, the, white family that was that was um, in their custody and he so he was a part of this effort the effort failed um, I think the the um, the abductors the Apaches figured out that the, um, the rescue party was close and for whatever reason panic or whatever it was they killed those in their um, who they had taken captive and left their camp hastily and just kind of re like fled, right? Mm -hmm. And so within a matter of hours, Kit Carson and the rest of his party, the search party, came across the camp, the abandoned camp and the dead bodies and near the, the slain body of the white woman who was, um, you know, the effort was to, to save her, was the first dime novel that featured Kit Carson and Kit Carson himself was not aware that this, this dime novel had been published. Mm. And so he read it, like, to his dismay. Like, this is a, like, the shock, right? He's reading, this is about me. And it's a story of me um, saving a white woman from, just in the nick of time, from her demise at the hands of these, you know, quote-unquote bloodthirsty, you know, savages, the native, right? And he saved her. And then he was reading this just like minutes after realizing that he had actually, the real life Kit Carson, had failed in that same task. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of blew my mind to think that there was this sort of, um, you know, art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life, or, or not, right? In terms of how this book and the incorporation of the character Kit Carson relates to modernism, I found the article Losing Nothing, Comprehending Everything by Deborah Williams, which can be found on the Cather Database Archive. I found it to be helpful. It states, In Death Comes for the Archbishop, Cather attempts to bring readers beyond written language. 
I think that this sentiment encapsulates how this book and how incorporating the historical figure of Kit Carson fits into the era of modernism because she is playing with characters and having their historical truths mixed in with lies that come with a fictional narrative and she fits them in the same context and oftentimes side by side the truth and the lies and we see a lot of biographical information about Carson that was accurate while she was also sculpting him and molding him into what she needed for the context of the story such as with the character of Magdalena who he came to the rescue of which was a fictional character so playing with their legacy and what actually happened and then what she needed to happen for her story is very exper experimental and shows how this novel is kind of a great timepiece for this air. In addition to this notion that Catherine really wanted to challenge what a novel consisted of in the article titled The Novel de Mouble on the Cather Archive, it says, whatever is felt upon the page without being specifically named there that, it seems to me, is created. It is the inexplicable presence of the thing not named, of the overtone divine by the ear but not heard by it, the verbal mood, the emotional aura of the fact or the thing or the deed that gives high quality to the novel or the drama as well as to poetry itself. And so this is just a quote from Cather herself, and I think it kind of goes to speak towards how she really wanted to encapsulate emotions and not necessarily facts or actions she really wanted to encapsulate like she said this emotional aura uh, between a fact or a thing or the deed and I think that this is accomplished well throughout the novel and is also experimental because oftentimes people want a fact to be a fact and a fiction to be a fiction and a landscape to be a landscape and she's out here trying to experiment with all of that and tie all these kind of sensory things into one thing and this kind of emotion versus physical and truth versus lies and really muddy the lines and I think that she accomplishes that extremely well and it makes an impact and, and so I think that she has accomplished everything she kind of set out to do by incorporating Kit Carson this real figure and sculpting him into who she needed him to be and this kind of experimentation of what this landscape of Santa Fe looks like and kind of what she made it. I would like to thank Professor Rass for taking the time to interview with me and providing a lot of the biographical information that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. I would also like to thank Professor Marshall for introducing me to this book and for teaching a great modernism class. And if you get a chance, I recommend reading Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather. Thanks for listening.